Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On this week's episode, we have Justin and Lauren. This week we learn a trick or two from our friends bees and how they can grow their own vaccines and ingest them to their young. We also find out about an innovative way to milk jellyfish and help study their venom using a pretty Australian trick. So I've been hearing a lot of talk lately just about like vaccines in general. I mean, some people still focused on the fact that, um, you know, there was that old story that's been disproven many, many times, but you still get like the mums in Sandringham who think that vaccines are horrible. They're going to they're gonna cause your kids to get sick. They're just, they're not okay. They might cause autism and all things like that. Yeah. And, um, and those studies have been proven to be very false and vaccines have a really helpful benefit for society. But there's also been a lot of research into different ways that we can create vaccines because one of the issues with um, vaccines is the fact that they're usually put into eggs, like they're delivered in like, I think it's either egg whites or egg yolks. Yolks, that's part of the uh, the curing cycle. The curing cycle, which is great, except for the pa- fact that some people are allergic to that. So in which case, what do they do about vaccines? Well, that's right. I mean, it, it sort of puts a dampener on the whole vaccine situation. If you can't even have a vaccine because you're allergic to eggs in the first place, which makes it really tough because vaccines give our society a lot of benefits. You know, eradicating things like smallpox and measles, we really helped reduce child mortality and make everyone live nice and healthy lives. You may think the flu jab is a bit of an inconvenience at times, but even that has a you know a positive effect in helping keeping us all healthy and you know active. So you know it's all beneficial things. But Justin, I'm going to let you know, we're not the only creatures who use vaccines. Well, hang on, are you telling me that other things vaccine? What maybe maybe goats, maybe cows? Because I know we develop things like vaccines against anthrax by studying the anthrax response in cows. Well, it turns out we're not the only people who get the jab. The others are the bees, except they don't actually do it through a jab. Well, hack, well, they're not even injecting with it, with it, like a, with it, introducing the pathogen, which is the way you know, kind of the way a vaccine works. It sort of works by giving you a bit of a taste on your immune system experience with this thing, but they give you a stripped down version without all the nasty stuff in it, so you don't actually get sick. They kind of give you a, a tame version, so you go, I know what that looks like now. My body can fight it. So if they if they don't have a jab, how are they actually? giving it a vaccine. So some researchers from Arizona State University, the University of Helsinki, and the Norwegian University of Life Sciences have recently discovered that um, after studying bee blood, they've actually found that there's a protein in the blood called vitelogenin, which is actually related to how they um, vaccinate offspring. Wow, okay, so the bee's blood itself is carrying this, like, vaccination-type protein. How... The vaccine itself works, though, actually comes from the pollen gathering process. Right, because bees, their job is to fly out, well, some of the jobs, the ones who actually are worker bees going out to the, the countryside, find some nice flowers and they say, oh, that's a nice flower and I'll bring, I'll bring back that pollen, we'll bring it back to our hive and we'll put it in the cocoons and we'll make honey and nectar and we'll feed our larva and our queen and things like that. So while that process of giving the nectar to the queen, what's actually happened is... When you're going out into the world, you know, you pick up all kinds of different pathogens. It just happens. They're in the air. They're everywhere. There's nothing you can do. So it actually gets put into the pollen that gets um, fed to the queen. 
Right, so the queen is basically getting dosed all the time with all these different pathogens just through pure exposure of its worker bees. It doesn't even have to leave its nest, its hive, and it's still getting the same exposure as all these workers are because it's in its food. Exactly. But this is where vitelligenin protein comes in. So what actually happens is that those pathogens actually bind to the vitelligenin and it gets transferred in the blood from the queen into the offspring. Right, so basically that that sort of keeps it just from being a pathogen that's sort of stuck on the surface of the food, but one that actually goes into the bloodstreams of the young bees and makes sure that they're all exposed to it. Exactly, so that's how they get their basically, how we get the watered down dose, that's how they get it as well. And so their bodies are used to those pathogens and they can build up immunological um, defenses against those pathogens. Right, and, and it's really going to be about the pathogens that are actually present in the bees' environment. So it only really works by exposing, the, obviously, the workers to it themselves rather than just relying on what we, and how we get our vaccines, which is where we can target something specific that we don't necessarily have an exposure to at the moment, but we want to be protected against. Exactly, and this is also really cool because it's the first instance we know of of a vaccine being ingested. Right, that's cool. So this is also really cool because that means that we can actually create vaccines. We can create new vaccines for the bees themselves. Oh, that's really useful because bees have an important role to play in our overall society. They pollinate our crops. They help fertilize our our plants, which is incredibly important for agriculture and farming. And a lot of them have been dying off. So if we can help keep them alive, that would be really nice. It's actually been shown from like in the United States, it was about 6 million bees that existed and um, that was back in 1947 and now it's decreased to about 2.5 million today so if we can start making sure that bees aren't affected by as many diseases we can hopefully raise those numbers again right and you know um, 35 percent of the global food production mostly from the united states relies on pollination you know pollination pollinates the 87 of the top 115 food crops so that requires bees (laughs) to keep those fruits, nuts, and vegetables healthy and in our supermarkets and on our plates. And the question is, what's the next step? Okay, so we have some vitellinogenin. We can go create some new vaccines. That's the bees sorted. But it turns out that um, bees aren't the only organism that has vitellinogenin. There's other egg-lacing species that also have vitellinogenin in their blood, which begs the question... Can we create more edible vaccines for other different species? And that, that's really important because things like fish, poultry, reptiles, amphibians, if they've all got vitelligenin, then that means we can also help keep them alive through the same mechanisms but also get more hosts to grow things in. So we can start then working on translating some of this knowledge to more of the human space as well, protecting the animals but also finding ways to adapt it to help us out as well. And the amazing thing is, because this vaccination process is like naturally occurring, it can actually be very cheap to manufacture, and it's actually very simple and inexpensive for us to create, which means that we can, it's not just going to be something that's happening in a small pocket of area, but it might be something we might be able to spread around to the whole world. And having cheap, effective vaccines is really what it's all about. So that's really fascinating that we can learn something from bees that we can use to help save bees, but also ourselves. And just another piece in the whole vaccine puzzle. Hey, Justin, can you guess what my favorite type of drink is? Uh, pina colada. Uh, flaming wizard. Uh, 
Long Island iced tea. It's actually the thing that brings all the boys to the yard. Oh, milkshakes. Yeah. Well, that's a good choice. So I have to say, if you could guess what the weirdest kind of milkshake would be, what would you guess? Uh, a milkshake made of lemon juice. It would curdle as you drank it and form a really kind of a cement mixer as it went down into your stomach. I think that's the weirdest one I could think of. But, but how would you milk a lemon? Uh, by squeezing it into a lemon squeezery juicer thing. That's the scientific term. It's official. Think- you heard it here first. <laughs> I think I debate with you whether that counts as juicing or as milking. There, you're right. You're you're very right. I don't I don't know if you can milk something that doesn't doesn't produce milk. <laughs> so out of all the things that you know, you can like milk. You know the usual type of ones. You know you've got your cows. You've got your goats. Humans. Humans. You've got your snakes. Yes, generally. Wait, wait. Hang on. I was going to say mammals, but then you added snakes into the mix. Yeah, you know, you milk the snakes for the venom out of their fangs. Oh, that's right, and that's how we build up our anti-venom libraries, which is really important to make sure we don't die of rattlesnake bite. Exactly, which is why my next one might sound a little unusual, but also seems to make sense. Okay, what is it? Jellyfish. All right, I can... Look, a rattlesnake, it's got teeth. You put this teeth into a big jar with a little bit of, like, rubber on the top of it, and you squeeze it out, and, like, you can milk it that way. I've seen, like... a Video of someone milking a snake. I get that. A jelly, jellyfish. They don't have teeth. What am I milking? No teeth or udders to milk. Do you milk the tent? Do you milk like the the big stinging tentacle thing? (laughs) So what they've actually done is how to properly milk a jellyfish has been like a point of contention for ages. I am not surprised because I can't. I can't imagine how either. There hasn't been, like, a good way to do it because usually when you manage to do it, they only get very, very small amounts of the venom, which they're using to create anti-venom. Of course, yeah. And sometimes it ends up contaminated by mucus, which can be very unfortunate. Yes, and, you know, if you, depending on how your milking technique is, it's probably covered in a layer of mil- mucus. What they've discovered at the University of Queensland is a new way of being able to milk jellyfish so we get more and less contaminated venom. Right, and which kind of jellyfish are they, they milking here? Is it just like those moon jellies that sort of flop around uselessly on the beach? So the jellyfish we're specifically looking at here is the um, box jellyfish? Yeah, one of the most deadly jellyfish around. Not as deadly as the Irigangi, but pretty bad. It's been known to close beaches for entire seasons in North Which Queensland. Which is why, if I remember correctly, it actually it can cause human death in the span of a few minutes or can cause a deadly shock if you do end up stung by one of these jellyfish. That's right. It's a pretty serious danger and one of the other many ways that Australia's natural wildlife <laughs> is trying to kill you so at all times. it's so important for us to be able to create anti-venoms to keep people more safe. Yes, that's right. We need to milk those jellyfish for all that they're worth. So what the new method that the University of Queensland researchers have discovered is using ethanol to cause the tentacle venom cells to actually fire, releasing some um, venom. Some venom. Right, so basically they're using ethanol. They're giving a bit of alcohol to make it go, hang on, I've got to sting this thing. I've got to definitely <laughs> got to sting that booze. I mean, this, this jellyfish is sounding more and more Australian. As it goes <laughs> Very on. much so. And then this results in a less contaminated um, jellyfish venom for us to use. What's especially funny about this is the fact that um, what they actually say is, from a first aid point of view, you don't want to use ethanol for first aid. 
um, but one of the jellyfish stings. Yeah, <laughs> because it's uh, probably not the best thing to have as it probably accelerates the overall process. Pretty much accelerates the whole overall process and makes things a ton worse, which is why it's so funny that we're actually using it to get the um, venom out to create anti So we're actually, we're basically using the ethanol to cause the whole things to fire, just like tricking into thinking, I've got to sting this thing, I've got to sting it, yeah! But it's actually not stinging anything, it's just stinging the, uh, the milking vessel, so to speak. Exactly, which is how they then collect the venom and go and turn it into anti-venom. The unfortunate thing is, the jellyfish they're currently using it on is mostly found in cyclone-prone areas of northern Australia and the Indo-Pacific region, um, usually yep. in crocodile habitats. Because, you know... Being a biologist in Australia isn't hard enough when your day-to-day life, all the animals are trying to kill you. No, no, no. The animal you're trying to study is in an environment surrounded by other animals that are just as deadly as the one you're trying to study. Exactly. Um, They haven't actually had a chance to use this method on other jellyfish yet, but they're definitely looking forward to seeing if this does help. And it's, it's a really innovative way of actually trying to solve what is a really serious problem, which is the deadly venom from jellyfish. And if we can extract more out of it, we can study it more and hopefully also find applications for the venom. Because one of the interesting parts about all this venom research, it might, it's not just to produce antivenoms. We can actually learn a lot about different chemical processes that we can repurpose and use for our own ends by studying venom and finding ways to adapt it. And before this point, there hadn't been a whole bunch of research. This had been completely stunted because of how hard it was to get the venom. Like, we've done heaps of research with different types of snake venom because we can now get it relatively easy. But this being able to milk the jellyfish a lot easier is definitely going to improve that process. Which means that we don't just have to rely on spiders and snakes anymore. We can add deadly jellyfish right up there in the mix. So really, if you're a biologist with a penchant for all things deadly and dangerous and like to live life on the wild side, definitely come to Australia because we are some of the leading experts in repurposing deadly animals for life-saving purposes. This has been the Young Scientist of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. Learning a thing or two from bees about vaccine and how to keep ourselves safe, as well as an innovative way to milk jellyfish by giving them some ethanol. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.